Hey guys, this is Jason again with part two of the Epic Neon Genesis Evangelion discussion. If you did not listen to the first Neon Genesis episode, go back, listen to episode one, come back, check this one out. You are here for me to enlighten you. You ever act like this again, you're barred for life. It's just violent bass. It's kind of embarrassing. If you know you're lying, then you can forget them. Oh, I get it. It's very clever. So it would be interesting to see where we're not really going to go into the fourth children. I forget, you know, he, he's kind of introduced and gone out real quick, but it would be interesting to trace the parental lineage of him because with certainty, the first children is a construct of Gendo. And obviously the third is as well. So that's Ray and that's Shinji. We can assume, which we'll go into in a little bit, the fifth is most likely a construct of his as well, because Kawaru looks so much like Rei and Yui that it and has the same powers of Rei. Basically, it's like male Rei, right? So that yeah. would trend. So we can pretty much assume that at least one, three, and five of the children are constructs of Gendo. If Gendo was Auska's father, that would be four of the five, and then it would also make sense that there was some world where he ended up fathering the fourth as well. But yeah, so I think that it's entirely possible, if not even probable at this point, that, yeah, Gendo sired all of the pilots, which I had never considered until just this with you right now. Well, <laughs> and I think it makes, if you watch back through the series, I'm in the middle of my second watch through currently. I mean, I, so... Uh, spoiler alert, I was going to watch the whole series before we got here, but it was like, you know what, there's like five days, there's a lot of stuff to do in a regular real life, but yeah. I'm like halfway <laughs> through the series, and I'm not going to stop. Like, just because, you know, just because our conversation ends doesn't mean I'm going to stop watching it, but if you watch it through that way, it all seems to fall into place, like it has so far, because it's just man, this guy really will do whatever he can. And it does seem to fit that long con thing that he has going on, you know, where he's manipulating everybody. Um, and it, it does, it does give, it gives his character a little bit more dimension because you could argue, and this is not me siding with him, but you could argue that there's probably a version of him that feels like he's making personal sacrifices every time he makes a new Ava Sure. Right. Because, or he would yeah. maybe paint that picture. Um, but yeah, and I think that's I very mean, sort of like a traditional sort of like in mad scientist antagonist trope, right? It's, it yeah. goes back to that whole line of like, nobody's the villain in their own story. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so that would trend with that very much. Well, and he seems to have a general disregard for humanity despite wanting to save it. So it's an interesting dichotomy in this Gendo character. Like it's almost like he wants I to save he's one of those... humanity purely for the glory of having done so. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I think there's a lot of people like that. You know, I think it's very easy. I, I think that's almost even, you know, it could be considered like a criticism of, you know, whether you want to call it like businessman or an American or capitalism or whatever, or just, you know, the, the, the president, government, whatever it is. Right. But some sort of authority figure. Let's go. Let's jump back real quick here, though. Basically, after this whole thing where, you know, Ray throws the spear of Longinus, we've got Auska. She's all depressed. Uh, we get the next angel that arrives, and that's where, to your point, you know, this angel is basically trying to fuse uh, with Ray very quickly, right off the bat, right? Um, you know, if, you, if, if you're if you sort of, you know, looking at this through the connotation of this being like a largely sexual metaphor, like there it is right for you, right? This thing is literally trying to penetrate Ray and fuse with her being, right? Which, in a way, is an expression of the act of lovemaking, 
right? That's what is happening. Melding of the body, melding of the minds. And then from there, we get what's going to become uh, very common in the, in, the, in the final moments of the series, which is these sort of like psychological discussions with the self and psychological mm. representations of the self, right? And so we sort of get our first introduction to this, as well as opening up a side of Ray. And what happens is basically, again, you know, they're fusing and then we see Ray talking to the angel, which is a representation of herself. So it's essentially Ray talking to herself and the real Ray, although who's the real Ray going to that later, <laughs> the real Ray is talking to the angel and saying that she recognizes like this, this loneliness, this existential loneliness that she's carrying around with her. And the angel is almost like, almost laughs it off, like, what are you talking about? Like, you couldn't be, be more wrong about that. Like, what you're picking up on is your own emotions, right? And then Ray basically flashes to reality. She looks down and she sees literal tears falling from her face and collecting on her lap. And she almost, I think she even questions them. She's like, are these tears? Like, is that what this is? And so uh, it's a really interesting thing that the show does where... Ray is constantly projecting these really emotions as a whole, but largely negative emotions onto other people without realizing that, in fact, those are the emotions that she herself is experiencing. So I, I so there's a couple things going on here with the Ray character, and we'll get into that. But one of the things that I wanted to ask you, Jesse, is... So, okay, again, sort of these, like, very, like, direct questions, right? Like, the, and then breaking them down a little bit. So uh, a large direct question that I'm going to ask you, and then we'll take it from there. Is Ray an angel herself? Yes or no? I don't believe she starts as an angel. Okay. Um, I, I believe that she does become an angel. Um, it's it's difficult for me because she she doesn't have a... I don't think that she has an essence of her own because of her nature, right? So she is a clone of a clone of a clone of a clone. Mm -hmm. Or or maybe they made a lot of high fidelity copies of one person, but I don't Yeah. The point being she's not the original. Uh she doesn't carry uh the the essence, the original essence. I don't know, maybe she just has a part of it. But she starts to suspect that at some point and she's like, "Oh, I'm I don't think I'm the same as the other kids." And mm -hmm. she has this like just that, you know, for her to sacrifice herself to save Shinji, she self-destructs the, the Ava, and, but then we see that she's fine. And it's like, does that change the weight of her actions, right? Like, does it, yeah. does it somehow mitigate the level of sacrifice that she's made? I don't know. And, and I don't know if that question really gets answered, but is she an angel? I think that she she becomes an angel um, in that moment because uh, first of all, what a cool thing for the alien intelligence to go, no, I'm fine. Like I'm very well adjusted. You are messed <laughs> up emotionally. I think that was great. Um, but yeah. I think in that moment it, it does, like you were saying, it has that penetrative uh, uh, combinatory quality to it. And I think that that that's the moment where I personally, on my watch through, started going, okay, which which scenes are real? Because like uh, you ha you have yeah. to start questioning that, and it's I mean that's part of the narrative, right? Is to go, what is reality and what is perception, and are they really the same? And if I mess with one, does it mess with the other? And and 
I don't know. I think it's meant to be left up to not not in like oh it could be either way, but I think it's meant to be frustrating. Like I because yeah, there is sure. no definitive one way or the other for me personally. But yeah, I think that it has to be brought up because Kawaru, of course becomes an angel or was an angel the whole yeah. time right yeah Which, i believe i believe he was an angel like from the onset but that raises the question like did he was he born as a human baby and then became a teenager and the teenage you know puberty process turned him into an angel like there i have well, so, so many let, so, yeah well and let me and let me bring up a couple <laughs> things that kind of even led me to bringing up this question and again it may just question beget question begets question but like maybe we'll stumble <laughs> into a potential answer or two along the way right that's why we're having this discussion that's why we're bringing you guys these super long episodes where we're just really getting into the nitty-gritty on this one and what it could potentially mean let's also just real quick backtrack and say and say that up until this point the show has led us to believe that the Third impact, as well as the uh, second impact, is triggered by the either the melding or the meeting of an Ava and an angel, right? And that's the entire reason that they have to protect the angels from coming in. And it's also the entire reason that Masato questions sending Ray to go get the Spear of Longinus, because the Spear of Longinus is in Adam, which may end up being Lilith. We'll get into that. But and then so so by by Gendo sending Ray down there to retrieve that Masato goes, oh, that's bullshit the whole time. That's not actually what happens. And then from there, it does get reinforced or potentially reinforced. So what you talked about where Ray sacrifices herself. Right. So the this angel ends up fusing with her. You know, it's become clear that, like, she's not really going to be able to defeat her. So Ray actually makes the decision to, in essence, sacrifice herself to destroy both the uh, really to destroy the angel, but herself in the process. And this is, again, where I'm not 100 percent certain what's going on, because we do get the creation of that, like, Ray alien being that we saw trigger the second impact, but it did not trigger the third impact. So, like... I'm not exactly certain it was is it is it a minor impact is it is it potentially because she was already an angel like I, like I'm just I'm not exactly sure like why it wasn't the case that the melding of Ray and the angel didn't trigger the third impact and I'm wondering if it's something where it's like well she already was an angel uh you know or if that has something to do with it well, and they also had the the episode where the uh, angel is being born at the bottom of the volcano, or, or like the mm -hmm. angel embryo is there, and they go to recover that, and it breaks out, and there's no third impact then. So it's yeah. it does kind of just it it makes me go back to going, okay, did Gendo the first time did he just screw something up? Like was he trying to capture yeah. Adam Lilith the first time and screwed something up, and that caused a you know a defensive reaction that was interpreted as the second impact or was yeah. it you know and and it does and then it makes me go are these are these aliens or are they <laughs> yeah. people like it, it's they really share, hard to identify exactly what's what yeah and then the but other they thing share too, a 99.8 percent match on the dna right so it's like if the yeah. avas do that and the angels do that then is it a version of humanity is yeah i there are so many questions yeah but i I don't know. I feel like 
they're, they're well, okay, definitely... so really, really quick though, let me bring up the fact that like, so the other thing is that, you know, the Kawaru is clearly an angel, like literally right off the bat, they're like, he's the 17th angel. And so if, if he is male Ray, then you could also make an argument that like Ray is an angel because she is very close to him. Maybe for example, she even has those abilities, but they're mm-hmm. just latent because of her human, ultimately human experience. And then there's also a part that comes in later where Ritsuko is explaining that, like, this version of Rei is essentially like an aberration. So let's Mm. also recall it's this version of Rei is Rei 3, right? That's her name. We see her called Rei 3 many times. Now, we know that there's at least one Rei that was killed by Naoko, Ritsuko's mom, when she choked her out because she called her an old hag and found out that that was Gendo not being in love with her anymore. And so that was just really, she killed her, but it was the rage she felt toward Gendo towards being manipulated again, just leaving that brutal wake. Well, now here's, here's a thought though, to the, to the point of the angel, you know, Ray angel Kawaru nature. If, if Kawaru doesn't show up until after Ray is fused to the angel, right? So maybe okay. that was the the angel intelligence learning how to properly fuse with a person. Maybe that's how they have to communicate because that seems to be one of the few instances where we see communication is when they're physically touching, right? So they, okay. it's uh-huh. happened to Shinji, it happened to Asuka. So by the time it happens to Ray and it creates like this perfect hybrid and then Ray goes, no, I'm, I'm blowing this up. Maybe that intelligence still knows, oh, okay, so then Kawaru shows up, right, after that happens. So maybe that's just, oh, we need a Ray plus angel intelligence gives you Kawaru. So that might be, to your point, that might have been why that worked because of they had a chance to try it with Ray. Maybe that is what happened. And I also think it's also I was wondering if there was sort of like an allusion to sort of like, uh, you know, the creation of life in the first place where it's almost like all of these rays are like, in essence, this primordial ooze and the same Mm -hmm. way where it was just like the specific confluence of everything hitting together at the same time created life. Like, are these rays in essence like life like like do these these three rays are they, you know, because many, so many have been made, did these three come out as aberrations with souls, right? From just floating right. around in this primordial ooze. And then as a result, does that then make, are they then angels or not? Again, more questions than answers, but this is the stuff I'm considering. Well, and does that make Ray the goal of the Human Instrumentality Project, right? Because like to create a viable hybrid between the two and and it's it's possible but she it it, i mean your metaphor actually goes for a whole additional layer here because like for a single life to be created right there are so many sperm cells that have to either make it or not make it to the egg yeah so you could you could even view all these different rays as seeds that may or may not be planted by the final angel or you know by the final impact that will create this new life for humanity, this next tier, this next evolution. So, man, that's a brilliant metaphor. I'm I'm really glad you said something about that, because now when I get there in the series, it's going to be way easier, I hope, for me to understand. <laughs> right? And, and to think that uh, before we watched the show, we thought it was a silly cartoon about robots. 
<laughs> there mean, are absolutely not, not people a cartoon about listening robots. right now who are like, "Wow, I had no idea that all of this stuff was going on." Right? Like, if even yeah. right, if even one person goes and watches Evangelion as a result of this conversation, we will have called it a success. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, like I've said, my podcast is specifically about getting people to watch stuff that they're resistant to. And if you're resistant to this series, I will be the first to say, I get it. But jump in. Yeah. Even if your arms are crossed, jump into Evangelion, please. Absolutely. <laughs> and then from there, we also see Ritsuko take a similar response to her mother, except instead of turning her rage and aggression on herself, uh, she turns it... Uh, one could argue rightfully on the rays and uh, basically after she reveals the whole plan about, you know, the fact that these rays are just, you know, mass produced by Gendo and they're just these sort of empty vessels from which there may or may not these aberrations uh, born with souls. She decides that she's had enough of Gendo's shit. She's been hurt. And so she just she basically pushes the button and destroys all of the rays. No more rays, no more empty vessels. Uh, I forget what he calls, he calls him like the supply project or something like that. But either way, she basically, that's just an extension of the fact that Ray was always the object of Ikari's affection, even though Ikari continues to use her mind and her body. And the funny thing too, is let's also touch on the fact that Ray is not the object of his affection. Yui is the object of his affection. And he has embedded Yui and her personality and her physicality and everything into Rei. Um, and so, yeah, largely, you could say that this whole thing is really just about him trying to persist the memory of his wife, who is probably and very easily arguably the only person that he seems to have ever loved in his entire life. Children, parents, and literally everyone in the world included, right? But in the most twisted, horrific, eldritch, biotechnical, <laughs> just violation that could have existed. Like, to take your wife's consciousness and put it into a 14-year-old clone body, and then to use that clone body, as you will, as an instrument of war and destruction. And, I mean, I get it, you know, it's a shield. But, like, it's, yeah, it, you really can look at this as, you know old man leaves destruction in his wake for his own purposes that he feels are beyond those of society. And it's, I, I think yeah. that that's kind of like, there's so much of that in this series, you know, that complicated relationship of, you know, faith in your parents that you have and mm -hmm. the wild swings that that relationship can take. And, you know, the feeling that sometimes the world is ending, but nobody seems to be paying attention or caring about that. And it's just like everything in this series manages to be so true to life, despite being so just mind-blowingly freaking bonkers. Like, it, <laughs> yeah. it really goes in so many directions at all the same time. But to, to the point, man, you and I are sitting down talking about it, and it's starting to make a ton of sense just as a piece of like emotional storytelling, even if it doesn't make a ton yes. of narrative sense every step of the way, correct? you just get it at the end. And that's amazing, I think. So coming back to the narrative, we have reached the point where they do introduce the fifth children. By the way, real quick, just want to ask if you have any opinion on that. Is there something to the fact that they're called, like an individual is called the fifth children and not the fifth child? Or am I overthinking things? Or is it a localization error? 
my assumption was that it was a localization error because it does get used interchangeably. Like there are times where they say he's the fifth children, but mm. there is also a scene with him all in one place where they go, our children are on their way. So it's like, I okay. it, it must be a proper noun. And my guess is that it's actually a localization error. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the funny thing when you get into like a lot of these, uh, you know, very sort of metaphysical or, you know, visually represented sort of films or TV shows is that like you start then questioning, like, is everything a metaphor? Right. And it's like, oh, you know, there was a, a, a red light in the top right corner of this one frame. Is that like a reflection of his psyche? And then like you go behind the scenes and like David Lynch is like, oh, no, we accidentally caught a stoplight in the background. That's all that is, right? Or some shit like that. And it's like, oh. But it's so easy to go down these rabbit holes of just overanalyzing, like, every aspect of it, right? But the one thing that I like to remind people is when you watch a film, especially animation, it's actually taken to the nth degree with animation. Very few, if anything, happens as just the result of happenstance. Everything is a very specific decision. And you had very specific decisions made all along the way. The writer made a specific decision to include it in the script. The editor made a specific decision to lead it there. The director made a specific decision to examine that and include it and maybe represent it in metaphors and foreshadowing. And so, like, all of these people, you know, got on board and said, yes, we want to make sure this is a part of this. So, you know, when you say something and then again, there are even certain occurrences in live action film where, yeah, you know, someone crosses the street at a certain time. Like, but with animation, there is zero of that. Every mm-hmm. single line is drawn with intent. You know, there's no accidents in animation. So if you're like, well, you know, maybe the one scene was just there. No, somebody specifically said, I am putting this piece of the puzzle here. So don't overlook it. If anything, Maybe they wanted you to overlook it and leave it for the people that do look this closely to be able to use that and say, hey, I noticed this thing that you didn't. And I, sometimes I feel like with stuff like this, there's there's there'll be three to five minutes spent on something that's like kind of important. And then, you know, a three to five second shot can be what unlocks the entire meaning behind everything, you know, and I think there's a lot of instances in the show of that. That's actually one of my favorite things about this show is that it takes its time with its visuals. Like we're getting shots that um, in any other medium and in any other story, you would cut away from this like almost immediately. But they let the camera in air quotes linger on these scenes, right? They're spending a lot of time looking at the world, at looking at the details, looking at the settings, things like that. I don't know if you notice anytime he's in civilian life, you can hear the drone of the cicada. Like, Oh, every yeah, time that he's doing that so something well. yeah every time that he's doing something normal it's just this boring droning like this is regular life right and mm-hmm. and to your point that's a decision that they made and they went find every instance where he's not there and put that in every single one and i'm not kidding and they went and they did mm-hmm. and they found it and it's like there are there are so many decisions that have to get made correctly before what we see becomes what we see that i think i think that if people really considered that part of it, I think more people would be bigger fans of anime in general, right? Because yeah. the, the number of people that it takes to be on the same page to get what we get is is just massive. But you're 100% right. There are like details. So like, for example, if you watch the opening credits sequence and you do that on Netflix, or if you're on Blu-ray, use the, the uh, slow forward feature on your remote. If you watch mm-hmm. through the opening credits, it's like... 
um, story setup, spoiler moment, story setup, spoiler moment, story setup, spoiler <laughs> moment. But you don't know that until you've seen the whole series. Until you've seen yeah. the whole series, you're like, this is just a series of images that look really cool and sci-fi and like, all right, I'm down for this. But if you go back and look at those images, you're like, oh, this is every spoiler for the entire story in sequence in the first 30 seconds of this intro. <laughs> like, <but> You don't <laughs> know that without the context. And I think that's that's a huge accomplishment specifically with this series. And that's a great point to bring up, Jason. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... All of that uh, kind of leads me to another point that, that again, is sort of something that as we've been discussing here, like I had just maybe considered it, and it relates to what we were saying before about Zile's master plan, right? So you had the the great observation that like, okay, J- Gendo's trying to basically like hedge his bets. He's playing along with Z, or, you know, he's got his own plan, but then Zile is the backup, or maybe it's the other way around, right? But either way, he's kind of got these two things going on, and either way, he's going to get his way one way or another. So there's this very brief scene, and again, there are certain times where you see something and it's like, that stands out. It stands out because it doesn't make sense, which means it's probably hugely important, right? Or I'm overthinking it, just as likely one or the other, but you know what? Overthinking things is what we do here, so let's get into this. You mentioned the scene before. It's a very brief, probably takes five seconds overall, and he's uh, Gendo, Commander Ikari, basically is looking at, either, I think it's Eva 1, it might be Eva 2, and he's got Yui, air quotes, in his hand, but it's just like this mass and this blinking eye, right? And he's basically looking up at the Ava and says something like, you know, got big plans for you, Yui, whatever the dialogue is. Not important, right? It just occurred to me that very likely what I think might have been Gendo's plan relative to working with Zile is if we assume that the whole point of Zile triggering the third impact was to rebirth a new humanity that or the evolution of humanity, which is the Ava's. That and the Avas have a source personality. Wouldn't it be logical to assume that Gendo's whole aim with working with Zile is to have new humanity be in Yui's image and essentially have her oh. be like a sort of mother for the new Absolutely. stage of humanity, which would allow yes. her to persist, you know, throughout time? Brilliant because he clearly sees himself as God, so he would create humanity yeah. in the image that he felt was best and and if that is the only you know other person that he ever felt you know was on his level absolutely he would yeah. pick that person and it fits so well with the lilith and the adam and just yeah i that's a brilliant point jason and i think you nailed it that has to be it love it dude dude it's yeah it's oh man i dude it's just this is exactly why I have these shows, dude, because it's like like you and I are never going to sit here on our own and just have these conversations with ourselves. Or even if we do, like you're going to provide a certain perspective that I'm not going to that's going to open up a whole thing of me for me to see and vice versa. And it's just like I feel like we're just unlocking so much about this show as we go through here. And like hopefully for you, the listeners, like you're kind of having the same sense of discovery as you go along with us. Yeah, and if you've been listening up to this point and you haven't seen the show, turn it off, go watch the entire show, <laughs> then come back and start over with this because you'll be going, yes. whoa, these dudes know what they're talking about. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we should have put a, a, a disclaimer at the show. Like it would, I wish everyone could kind of do this. I wish, I know, I know most people aren't going to nerd out enough, but like watch it, come to your own conclusions on everything, see what you pull from it, see what you think. And then go back and listen to this and then compare and contrast and discover along with us, you know, like, 
again, it's just like the, it's almost like, it's almost like being in the same room with someone that's like writing a song or something, you know, it's just, it's, it's being a part of the discovery. Like, I love that so much. And I really hope that's coming across to our listeners today. I have no doubt that it is because it's happening to me in real time. So <laughs> yeah, same here, same here. So it has to, it has to be there too. Now the other thing, so I, I guess this is kind of, again, something that I accidentally sort of came across this theory and then it was like, Oh, okay, well I could sort of, you know, see that. But, um, so we've, we've mentioned, uh, the arrival of Kuaru and Kuaru is the fifth children. Uh, again, apologies if I'm butchering the pronunciation and, you know, he finds Shinji on the beach side in the middle of the ruins and, you know, he's very much at peace, right? He's got everything figured out. Um, so, you know, we can, and because he looks so much like Ray, like we sort of know, like he's some sort of advanced being, or he's, you know, uh, an advanced human who was, uh, you know, uh, optimized by Gendo, whatever it is. Right. And Shinji basically like very quickly develops a very intense affection for this Kawaru character. And, you know, you could argue that it's potentially a version of himself that he would like to be. You could argue that it's very simply he showed him kindness because, you know, I mean, Shinji can kind of seem at times like, hey, as long as you're nice to him, like that's all he needs, you know? And then from there, there's this whole scene where he's like, uh, where where Kawaru asks him if he wants to continue this conversation in the shower and, you know, uh, Shinji gets very embarrassed, but then like agrees and they have a conversation. So apparently there's an idea out there from the audience uh, viewership. There's sort of a debate as to whether or not this indicates that Shinji is himself gay or not. Um, and it's also interesting, too, because I do feel like the latter half of the show did sort of introduce certain questions around sexuality that made it much more overt. Whereas before it was sort of like much more on a metaphorical visual basis, like you talked about with a lot of the sort of penetrative aspects of the angels and whatnot. Um, but then we see some sort of very direct, you know, whether it's Auska coming on to him, making him kiss him, the way she comes on to Kaji, uh, the attraction of Masato towards uh, Shinji and all of this. But um I have my interpretation. I was wondering, do you do you think that that's what the point of this scene is, is to indicate that Shinji is in fact gay? Is that part of it and there's more to it? Doesn't that not factor in at all? Uh, just because it does seem to be something that the fandom discusses. I'd like to hear what you think about that. So my interpretation of it is that it is the uh semi clumsy 1998 version of going you need to allow both aspects of your inner personality through to be a healthy person um mm-hmm. everyone has you know if if gender is a spectrum then within them everyone has the the feminine and the masculine right and mm-hmm. i think as a as a for, as a former 14 year old boy um <laughs> I remember going, you know, trying to figure out the difference between um, friend connection and a romantic connection and, you know, things like that and learning where your sexuality lies and things like that and trying to figure that out as you go is um, a vulnerable experience, right? And I feel like for me, it's just part of telling the story of a 14-year-old boy who is suddenly asked to grow up in a lot of ways and throughout the series, there are a lot of indications that Shinji is actually 
coded female, right? So um, mm. Shinji's plug suit, for instance, has like what would be considered like a breastplate on them. And okay. of course, it's because, you know, they need to connect a lot of electrodes to his body sort of a thing. But even his like his plug suit for Ava 2 looks feminine, right? And yeah. he's the only male pilot. So that's kind of and then they do go to the point of putting him in the female plug suit later when he's in the uh, cockpit with uh, Asuka and I only laugh because now that metaphor becomes additionally applicable right right <laughs> so it's it's there's a lot of complicated gender gender identity stuff going on with Shinji I believe in the American dub he's voiced by a woman oh, wow. um, but it's it's one of those things like I really do think that it is the anime's way of saying you know there are two sides to your to every personality and that gender is a spectrum and um, you can decide you know pieces of that for yourself but it doesn't necessarily come across quite so nuanced it comes across as oh is he attracted to that other boy because yeah. they're you know they're drawing they have a limited amount of time in this episode and they're drawing you know a very specific thing but I also read their relationship as him finding somebody else who's his same age and in his same situation who isn't freaking out. So like you said, there's, is it a version of himself that he wishes he could be? Mm -hmm. I think it's more even just, here's a dude friend that I can feel confident talking to. Yeah. <laughs> like, cause he's never had that. Absolutely. He's never had a dad around. He's never had a bro. Like he's only had the penguin and Masato and the other pilots. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's it's funny. It's definitely so for me, I don't think that it's a matter of him being gay or not, like whether he is or whether he isn't can be discussed. But I don't even think that's I don't even think that's like in the conversation of what the scene is about, because right before then, Agreed. yeah, he triggers it by saying like, oh, uh, Kawaru does. That is like you seem like you're afraid of intimacy. You know, uh, you're 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 afraid of going up to people. Why is that? Is it because you fear intimacy? And, you know, what's more intimate than literally being naked with someone in a shower? Right. And as a matter of fact, I mean, it's it's not quite a one to one. But like, uh, have you ever seen the, the film Eastern Promises? Yes, the yeah. shower fight scene exactly. with Viggo Mortensen. Yes. It's the same thing where it's like, let's strip this person down to their most vulnerable aspect. Like. And then furthermore, I think that there's an element and, and again, I'm not hugely uh, knowledgeable of like Japanese culture, but obviously, you know, I'm very familiar with a lot of the art and I have seen a lot of films, you know, otherwise. So, you know, you feel like you get a sense at least of some of the, you know, cultural touchstones of, of different people. Yeah. And I think that there's an element of um, uh, the Japanese male experience that sort of follows the U.S. male experience. And that's the fact that like. Just the lack of male intimacy, you know, like mm. male on male intimacy and the fact that like it's almost like always seen as a matter of sexuality. Right. Like right. If, if, if you and another man are like touching each other or embracing like it's always filtered, even just the fact that we brought up this question, the fact that this debate right. exists shows it gets filtered through this thing of like, oh, is he gay? Is he gay? And again, I don't know how we got to that point. I mean, you could argue that we as a people, um, you know, we're not the most physically expressive. Right. You know, we're big on like personal bubbles. Um, you know, especially compared to certain European cultures and Hispanic yeah. cultures, right? Like, uh, we definitely have a lot more of that British colonial sort of thing going on, right? Um, where there's a detachment. And from what I've seen, I feel like there's probably a strong element of that within Japanese culture as well that kind of mimics ours. 
And again, I could be way off on that, you know, but it's just you never see, you know, you'll see certain films where it's like you watch a German film, you know, and it's like two guys celebrate and, you know, they embrace or they even grab each other's arms and pick each other up, you know, same thing with certain Spanish films, you know, and and then in the American films, American and Japan, it's always like a handshake, you know, or a knowing glance or something, you know, it's like, it's not like two Russian dudes that are literally sitting there naked, you know, wrestling with each other, you know, celebrating this thing. So I think there might be an element of that. I do. I 100% think you're right. Because going back to what we had said earlier about how there is a lot of resistance to anime for some people, I know and I have heard from people specifically that part of that is the androgyny of a lot of the characters, right? Like, which ones are girls? Which ones are guys? And it's like, mm, narratively, does that matter? And And that is a question that not a lot of... Let me back that up. That's not a question that everybody asks themselves yeah. when they're watching something, right? And and I think that that is part of the essence here, and it's part of the essence of the show, the male, the female, the combining of the two, as we have already mentioned. But I think that androgyny is what triggers that like deep-seated emotional response in Western audiences, because they're like... Oh, if if this character is confused, does that mean I'm confused? Because I can't tell if they're a you know a male or a female, and I don't know how to feel about the feelings now. And now I'm mad at the at the media. <laughs> it's like uh, maybe it's just internalized misogyny, which there is a lot of um, commentary on misogyny in the series. Yeah, like, sure. Like because you had said, there's a lot of painting Gendo with a very particular brush, and it's it's I think that it can't. It can't not be brought up, but to your point, I think I agree with you where it's, no, he's just a confused kid who has no sense of reality and is destined not to and feels him hormonally terrified about existing, which is yeah. true to life when you're 14. <laughs> and it's it's to that point, though, it, does, it came up with uh, Death Note, which you had mentioned you'd watch it as well. Yeah. So there's the scene where uh, L washes Light's feet, mm -hmm. right? A lot of American audiences, oh, are they gay? Yeah. It's like, I've, <laughs> I've never washed anyone's feet. Like, does that, is that a, <laughs> is that a romantic relationship indicator yeah, yeah, as yeah. a foot wash? Like, it's pretty clearly meant to be a visual <laughs> metaphor for something. Why, right. why would you immediately go, oh, it's a sexual thing? Like, also very weird I because America is <laughs> a very strongly religious country and like Jesus washing people's feet was kind of a thing and nobody ever was like, well, then Jesus was clearly gay. Right. Nobody ever and says that once. So like, why then does like that apply the, here? And that's the exact metaphor that Death Note is using <laughs> yeah, because right. Light views himself as a god. Yeah. So yeah, I just, yeah. To the point, I don't, I'm not sitting here going, Shinji can't be gay. I'm just sitting here going, I don't think it matters. Yeah, it's like, not the point. Shinji is a person and he is having a human experience and that is relatable. Yeah. And this is, and then again, this is not about sexual intimacy. This is intimacy. This is about emotional intimacy. You know, this, exactly. is, this is a very raw and personal experience for him that has nothing to do with with sex, you know. And I think that fits really, really well, because when you watch Neon Genesis Evangelion, you're going to have a really raw, personal, emotional experience yep. the first time. Like, that's just all there is to that. Absolutely. All right, Jesse. So from there, we get the moment where Sile kind of recognizes that Ikari is turning on them. Or if he hasn't turned on them, he's at least, you know, got this sort of backup plan uh, behind the scenes that he hasn't revealed to them. And they don't exactly know what that is. So now they're officially in like, OK, we can't trust this Ikari guy. We don't know what he's doing, but it's definitely something shady. And it's something that's going to, you know, contradict what we're trying to do. They actually 
have a quote where they say, we must return Nerve and the Eva series back to its original form. And I, I and the, again, this is a quote that I kind of wanted to take a look at specifically to see if that gives us any indication as to uh, you know kind of what we identified before about Zile's plan. Uh, what 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 you, is the original form just basically returning everyone back to angels? Do you think it's returning them back to sort of singularity? Uh, what do you think Zile is exactly do is exactly has going on here? Well, it's a it's a multi-layered answer to a multi-layered question, right? Because they they do we learn that Nerve used to be uh, Gahane, right? It, so there it used to have a different form, uh, literally, like there was a different name for the organization. So part of it could be them saying like we need to restrict them back to that level of access to mm-hmm. say resources or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you listen to that phrase. We need to return Nerve and the Ava series back to their original form. Like, think of it on that meta level, right? Yeah. Like, okay, when we started the Ava series, what did we know? Nothing. Yep. We just knew that angels were attacking and that uh, there was a kid and a robot. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like, re- return the series back to that. Let's put us back at, like, you know nothing level of knowledge, yeah. right? It also refers to, as you said, are we talking about reverting them back to the LCL pool? Is it reverting back to, you know, uh, Lilith with the spear pulled out of her? You know, there are so many layers, just like everything else we have been talking about. (laughs) Like, there's no there's no easy answer to it. Right. Like, and and again, going back to did did Gendo set up? CLA or Zele or depending on your dub or sub reading of that, right? <laughs> I heard it I heard it pronounced both ways in the Netflix dub. Okay. But I'm going with Zele. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's 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 like did he set up that organization or, you know, did his lieutenant have, you know, some level of sway over that and Well, here's the thing. So it absolutely does relate to the whole reason of them instigating the third impact, right? So that's what all of this is about. And we've identified before where there's something about how, you know, they have eight of the Evangelions finished, but the four have to remain. So we think that basically, you know, at this point, I think that sort of where we've settled is like, okay, they're basically trying to, you know, quote unquote exterminate the current form of humanity so that they can sort of rebirth humanity as angels moving forward right I think that was kind of where we settled a little bit and then that's where because the following scene is where we get that shot that we referenced earlier of Akari holding Yui in his hand and it's just that blinking mass and he's looking up at Ava uh, one or two I forget but basically like ah you know we've got to get you in there is kind of the vibe that I got right so we think that Ikari is basically trying to infuse Yui into the Evangelions so that the new race of, quote, humanity or the next evolution of humanity is built on Yui's form, personality, etc. Right now. Yes. Now, what's the one thing that uh, I I would also like to kind of see if we can work through here right now is just the whole nature of Kawaru and what exactly what exactly are their plans for him? So at first I was kind of thinking, okay, maybe it's uh maybe, maybe Kawaru is a construct of Akari, but then we get those scenes where he's directly interacting with Zile and the different representations. And they talk about how, 
Um, you know, they sent him down there and he has that whole moment where he's kind of Kawaru. That is, he's kind of almost laughing to himself about the nature of humanity, you know, and how fragile it is. And I think that there was this, you know, I think, uh, I, I wonder too, if there's an element of like, we always hold, you know, other beings in the super high esteem, right? Like, and so there was probably this mythos of humanity that is prevalent among the angels. Right. And he shows up and he's like, Oh, these are like the all powerful things you're talking. No, no, no. This, these guys are China dolls. They can break <laughs> in a moment's notice. Wow. I can't believe that all this stuff going on on this earth with these humans. These are humans. Crazy. Never would have guessed. Right. Well, that's essentially the reaction that the first angel that makes contact with one of our pilots has right there. They go, who are you? And Shinji goes, who am I? And they're like, oh, this is not good. Like, we were hoping you could tell us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Shinji's like, oh, no, I'm I'm po- possibly the worst uh, representative of humanity that you could have contacted. <laughs> and and it, it, it fits, though, because, okay, so up to this point, right, we have all these angels attacking and trying to dig down into the center of Nerve, and we find out that's because if an angel makes contact with uh, who we believe to be Adam, uh, but is actually Lilith, right, if an angel makes contact with that being, then it initiates the third impact. Mm-hmm. And so Kauro happens to be like this this created being, right? He's he's a he's a what is he the fifth children or the uh, fourth children? He's the fifth children and then right. ends up being the seventeenth angel. Right. So as the fifth children, he has access to the Avas through Nerve. Yes. Right. So as a plant from Zele, who somehow either manipulated the Marduk Institute or bypassed it completely, which itself was set up by Gendo Ikari. Again, too many layers. <laughs> Kaoru has access to the Ava series, or sorry, the original uh, three Avas when he is part of Nerve because he is supposed to be there. And it's it's like this betrayal from within that causes this 17th angel to get so close to achieving its goal right and yeah so but he is able to immediately sync with uh what is it unit 2 i think he's able to far surpass uh oscar's sync rate almost immediately yeah correct or, or was it ray i believe it was oscar no 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 you're right it's eva 2 and that's part of what starts to lead to Asuka's mental downfall, which is, for me, the most difficult thing to watch in this series. Yeah. I, you know, yeah, go Shinji, love love Shinji, get in the robot Shinji, um, but for me, Asuka is the heart and soul of, of this show. Um, and so watching, you know, the the truly agape love that Kaoru seems to be capable of, that we spoke of, you know, he, it's not necessarily that it's a romantic love for Shinji. It's that he has this true open love of humanity that's like, oh, these poor, as you said, these poor, fragile, misguided beings. Like It's almost kind of like the way that, like, you know, a lot of the uh, deities from Eastern religion, you know, Buddhas and whatnot, the way that they're represented, right? It's like this yeah. all-encompassing you know, peace, understanding, and uh, compassion for all living creatures, right? Yeah. Well, and it ends up tying into, you know, without looking too super far ahead, I think we could say that a big theme in this series so far has been choice. And mm-hmm. the 
the double-edged sword of choice, right, is that Zele goes, hey, we'll put this double agent in here. He'll just be able to pick an Ava, descend to terminal dogma. One of the coolest phrases ever, honestly. <laughs> I mean, those things have to be pointed out, right? Like, it's a high-concept series, but you got to point those things out. Absolutely. Um, he's going to be able to just basically accomplish everything that all the other angels couldn't because we set him up to succeed, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's... But they are still bound by that being's agency and choice because Kaoru has all the ability in the world to just end it right there. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to leave this up to Shinji. Like, I think I think this should be humanity's choice because sure. given, the, given the chance, you know, maybe they could be more than they are. Mm-hmm. And so the way that Kaoru just so defiantly chooses to allow Shinji the choice to me is like is that does that just happen to line up with exactly what Gendo wanted up to that point or did he was he there at the beginning orchestrating everything yeah and that's a great point that's a great question right because it and that's a and that was one of the things that I was going to bring up regardless so I'm very glad that you brought that up which is that Gendo has been this master manipulator for the entire thing and then all of a sudden you know kind of after that shot of him holding the Yui mass he he kind of takes a backstage and things basically just un, unfold and happen and we don't really see what he's up to the entire time, pretty much through the end of this episode 25. And then he just kind of pops or uh, 24 and then he pops back up at 25 uh, to sort of, you know, start a lot of the which really it's not even him. It's just psychological manifestations of him and the way that the show is bringing up those questions as a reflection of what's going on inside Shinji's mind. But let's, okay, so let's just spell this out real quick, okay, and see if we can get to the bottom of what's going on here. Because, so, Kuwaru, so, again, he's introduced as the fifth children, and then this moment happens where he's actually revealed to be the 17th angel. It turns out that he's, to your point, a double agent, and he sort of immediately can sync up with Eva 2, And without even being inside to pilot it is kind of, you know, the crux of this. And then so we see him controlling and syncing up Eva 2 from outside of the unit. And then he basically levitates, you know, starts flying through the air to reveal that, oh, okay, he's actually an angel. Before that, also, we do get a quick moment. Uh, Again, I know this this tells us something. Maybe we'll get to it, which is that he ends up going all the way down to see Adam. The uh, the the angel that's been held in place by the spear of Longinus, which is now, you know, in space. And so he's open. And yeah, he makes this remark. He says, oh, it's not you, Adam. It's you, Lilith. Like, how are you, Lilith? Right. Something like that. Right. Just barely least. But pointing out that it's <laughs> actually up? not Adam. It's Lilith. And I believe. And again, this isn't something that's super gone into. But I believe because he makes this reference to. Uh, the spe- a species of Lilins, and I believe humans are Lilins, with the assumption being that we are descendants of the Lilith angel. Yes, and that is why the Avas themselves 
are human in nature. They are advanced, they are evolved, they are distorted by the power and the blood of the angels, but they are human in nature, and that's why they require that human soul to keep them harnessed, right? That's why Yui had to be sacrificed for the good of humanity in Gendo's eyes. And, and as far as, you know, we do eventually come to learn, that was partially her own choice as well. It just felt really violent. <laughs> um, but she, there, there does need to be, there is a recognition that we have to marry the soul to the flesh, right? There yeah. has to be the two halves of the whole for the, for humanity to be able to survive. But it's, that stands in direct opposition to the plan of human instrumentality, which is to make all souls one, right? Yeah. So the point becomes, okay, well, if all souls are one, then we're going to need a vessel for that. And man, we're going to get into that. But yeah, I, I, I really, I, I like that. And I think that, that, um, that marriage of soul and flesh, I mean, we've talked about it up to this point anyway, you know, there's so many, things in this so many images in this that are penetrative yes. and uh you know two halves and that sort of a thing so yeah even the nature of like the angels having to descend through this you know tube so to speak and then combine with the other to create life right when you actually yeah. like break it down it's like oh again like you don't really have to use your imagination to see what that's saying but you're not the the show does such a good job of not throwing that in your face you know like when they're doing these things you know they're not going so far as to you know make the phallic symbols overly phallic or the vaginal symbols overly vaginal right like they they sort of i mean at times sure but what i'm saying is it's not like they didn't go full little mermaid and each of the spears of you know longinus (laughs) is a dick right (laughs) they didn't do that they didn't go that far they did not go that far. They, <laughs> you're right, and I think that that I think that it it actually helps the accessibility a little bit because it gives you a layer of sci-fi, right? So they can go, Lilin are the humans, right? So then the Adamites, you know, or whatever the word would be, the Adam species would be the angels, and the opposition, the male, the female, the two sides of the same humanity coin of you know nature and pain and this that and the other thing, which again. If it sounds like I'm rambling, just watch the last two episodes of this series. <laughs> We're um, working through this with you guys. Hopefully, hopefully you're yeah. with us here. <laughs> but it's it it is, and I think that that's an excellent point. There, they don't go until a certain point. They don't get overly sexual with that imagery. That's true. And they don't. And we'll get, mention that when they get there because there is a point where they yeah. kind of are like, you know what? Let's just go ahead and start calling this shit out. We'll get to that later. But I though. think. To be fair, though, they don't do that with Kaoru. And I think that that backs up what we were speaking of earlier, which is like, it's not necessarily a sexual connection that he is making with Shinji. It is a deep human emotional connection. Sure. And that's why Shinji is so furious when he when they tell him that Kaoru is the angel. He's like, you are lying to me. Why would you say that to me? You're trying to hurt me. Like, I mean, now, clearly, we have to we have to say everything up to this point in our conversation go go back and listen again and assume that everything we've said applies to people with severe depression yeah (laughs) right because exactly everybody in this series is very depressed (laughs) Um, if they aren't starting out they will be by the end right so shinji has this filter of like why would you say that to hurt me kaoru is my best friend ever he's the only person that's ever accepted me for the whiny you, you know i hate myself and he's fine with that yeah and so to have that that moment where Kaoru goes, okay, Shinji, I'm the bad guy. Uh, 
would you like to save humanity or not? <laughs> and then how long is that is that shot where Shinji is just holding Kaoru in Unit it's, 1's it, hand? It's oppressively long, and, uh, and, and, and we'll touch on that in, in a minute, too. Uh, I do think it's a little long, but we'll go into the reasoning behind it. But, uh, yeah, it's like... Uh, I don't know if it's a minute. It might, it's somewhere between one and two minutes. Like it felt like minutes. It felt like a solid seven, which was probably <laughs> like a minute. Like, <laughs> but yeah, either way, and it's the it's a uh, it's it's also repeated in the uh, elevator. I, I think it's a later scene, or maybe it was earlier but oh, with Auska and uh, Ray. Yeah, where they're just like. And it's it's so uncomfortable, but um, but let me ask you this, okay? So there's one thing I do want to uh, again just try trying to specifically identify, and that's what exactly Zile's plan was for Kawadu. I don't know that I've necessarily settled on it yet, but maybe we can kind of just work through that here right now. So there's a couple things to point out. Uh, the first is obviously that um. You know, Gendo, does he know what's going on or not, right? Did he know that the fifth children was a setup because he pretty much is one step ahead of Zile the entire time? We don't really see his reaction. We don't really see his response. Um, I think it's safe to assume he probably knew and was, you know, off doing whatever it is to get Singularity going. Uh, maybe in, in response to that, right? Like, oh, shit, you know, they played the Trump card, so now I got to run off here and, and do this whole Singularity thing. Um, what I'm trying to get to at the bottom of is what exactly Zile's plan was for Kawaru, right? Like, okay, you've, you've, you've got this double agent thing. And there's also the mention where they talk about how their, their grand plan really hinges on this fulcrum of Eva one, like Eva one is the responsible, but Kawaru goes in and takes over Eva two. So is that like a bluff? Is there like a, a bluff or a double bluff going on? Like, do you have any opinions on kind of what's all going on here? Okay. So we, I don't believe that we can discuss this without at least hinting at the end of Evangelion and the end of the series, which is, you know, okay. So let's say episodes 25 and 26, let's say that those take place concurrently to the movie the end of Evangelion, yeah. right? And it's basically like a two... remake of those last two episodes, right? Yeah, like, okay, like let's. You know what? You guys didn't like that. We're gonna etch a sketch this and try again for you. Maybe you will like this one better. Almost like a, it's just a different telling of the exact same events from another point of view. Because I would argue that anybody who was looking to get a clearer imagery out of the movie was sorely disappointed. <laughs> but um, <laughs> can you make the... things more clear? Sure. Here's some live action footage strewn in. <laughs> Wait, where'd that come from? Now I have more questions. <laughs> but we find out eventually that, that the goal of the human instrumentality project, regardless of which side sets it off, is to unify humanity and to ensure its existence, you know, beyond this day. Like, we want to ensure humanity's yes. continued survival in some form. So if... And and up to this point, we have seen Zele and Ikari sort of back and forth with each other go, oh, are they jumping it ahead? What are they doing? doing this is a little bit early and you know Zele will go this is not what the Dead Sea Scrolls say but it is sort of in line with what we want like should we rein Ikari in so there seems to be this like it's almost like they know that they're both of these organizations be they you know versions of each other or nested within each other or whatever it is they know that they're hurtling towards this point where 
a, a an inflection point in humanity's history, right? Where evolution is going to happen forcibly and it will either be good or it will be bad. And the key difference between these two organizations is how they believe we should get there and what we should do after it, right? So belief and choice come back into the problem, the nature of the problem. And mm-hmm. so they're going, okay, we're just going to put a freaking angel in there then. Now what? And it's I think that it is outside of their control that Kaoru actually does make that emotional connection with Shinji and goes, you know what? I'm going to give humanity one more chance because I like mm-hmm. this kid. He's a bit of a wuss, but everybody's a bit of a wuss at times. So like, maybe he just needs a chance. And I will literally stand in front of the end of humanity and ask him what he prefers. And that is mm-hmm. about to become a running theme in the series, right? Um, <laughs> but I think that that is, I think that to answer your question, I think Zele thought, okay, let's just initiate the impact here. We don't have the Ava series ready. Like, let's just start everything up. We'll send him in there. He can start it up. They'll send Ava Unit 1 to stop him. That'll give us access to Ava Unit 1, which is, you know, what they come to believe to be the vessel for humanity's souls. And then some of that gets twisted and turned a little bit. And I'm not 100% who wanted which thing from the outset, but it seems like both organizations are willing to adjust their goals as long as their version of what they believe to be the correct path gets followed, which of course is a huge commentary on humanity and governments, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you're right. I think kind of what's going on here is that basically, um, so if we, if we assume that the third impact is triggered from the marriage of Angel and Eva, then, yeah, basically they're sending in Kawaru to ultimately fuse with Eva 1 to generate the third impact and create the next evolution of humanity. So I think that they're attempting to start it. So here's something interesting that I just thought of while you were talking, which is that um, so this whole notion, one of the things that they never really give you clarity on is the notion of the second impact, right? Um, and so all, all that we can infer from the second impact is basically that it was, it was everything they're trying to do with the third impact, but it was like the first go around. Right. And so it just occurred to me now that like, okay, well, so if that's the case, so if they're trying to trigger the third impact, which is the fusion of Angel and Eva, so then the second impact was that was that was that them trying to do the same thing and basically like failing? Like did they so, did they try to trigger the next evolution and then it didn't take and so they had to be like, okay, we got to try again. So third time's a charm. Jason, this is an excellent question. So again, I cannot answer this without referring to material that takes place slightly after the series is over. Sure. <laughs> uh, with within the movie, the end of Evangelion, um, but. So we find we do come to find out that what triggered the second impact was Gendo's attempt to contain Adam, or in this case, you know, Eve, Lilith, mm-hmm. in the in the uh, embryo form, and that caused an impact. Now I don't remember if that was specifically he tried to revert that 
that being back to the embryo form or if he just tried to keep them there. Uh, I think it was a reversion that he was attempting, which to me indicates that's humanity going, we don't want this. We're not going to allow this evolution. We don't understand this unknown thing. Put it back in the box. Close everything up. We don't like it. And Pandora going, no, the box is open. You can't just close it. It's it's open now, and you're going to have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And so the third impact is humanity's efforts to go, all right, humanity as we know it is done. And now we've accepted that. Uh, that sucks. <laughs> but like... I guess we should move forward because it's inevitable, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we do that? And then you get these two very powerful organizations. We'll call them Nerv and Zele, but it's it's like it's 12 guys and Gendo. And they it's the elites, right? And they go, I think this is how we should get there. And the other one goes, I think this is how we should get there. And the end of the series and the movie are about those two differences and it seems like they're both convinced that they have to be the ones to trigger the thing to be the path that gets chosen yeah so no no that's great and we will by the way uh for anybody listening uh, as well as you jesse we will be getting into a discussion about end of evangelion on its own as well that's probably going to be another 90 to 120 minutes just on (laughs) that because that's how this thing's going here but um i feel like we're i feel like we're unlocking a lot of uh answers here in addition to just raising yet more and more questions on top of everything else. But I think that's what this uh, series like this is designed to do. Now, there is another aspect that I wanted to discuss with you, which is the exact nature of the angels. Okay. And, And again, a lot of this is all just our personal interpretations as to what's going on, trying to decode what's out there. And one of the instances we have towards the end after Shinji learns that Kawaru is an angel he's all you know again like we talked about pissed at the betrayal etc etc they end up having a fight and they talk about the AT fields specifically so Mm. just to remind anyone listening the AT fields are basically these you know invisible force fields so to speak that uh, many of the angels though seemingly not all of them um, seem to have around them and uh you know, to varying degrees of strength, right? And then there's the one in space that the only thing that can penetrate the AT field is the Spear of Longinus, and that's why that whole thing ends up, ends up happening. And there's a moment where Kawaru is speaking to Shinji, and he's talking about how uh, angels all have these very strong AT fields, while humans have none, yet he goes on to say that it's not like necessarily a special power that it's basically an extension of the walls of their hearts. And so if that's the case, like, is it is it such that then angels, because the angels do seem to have like a, a generally human construct, right? Even the, um, even the outer, you know, the ones in space and blah, 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 that take on different forms, like they still seem to have a mind and, and they speak of hearts and things of that nature. So are angels... Sort of like an evolution of humanity in themselves? Are they sort of like a superhuman, like, you know, humans that have been given the next chromosome? Like, what exactly do you think angels are, and especially with their relationship to humanity? So I take it to, personally, I have taken it to be the Adam being and the, you know, Eve being, Lilith, um, were to either extraterrestrials or terrestrials and at some point were separated in evolution or possibly space and 
the you know convergent nature of their destinies is what is pulling them back together because they they started as one right uh, eve was created from adam if you're following all of the same imagery for those two those two names right mm-hmm. so i feel like the angels would be the descendants of adam and we come to find out that humans are the descendants of eve and so we need so so let me just back up one further step so if the avas are based on eve right if those are human by nature mm-hmm. and we have imbued them with a human soul okay. then we have to acknowledge the avas are actually the current next step in human evolution right yes. so we go humans then we go avas and then we go uh, let's just call it post ava at this point in the <laughs> <Okay>. conversation <laughs> and the the race to post ava right is is the uh the third impact who can initiate the, the third impact and i think that it's that reunion of the children of adam the angels and the reunion of the children of eve the humans so okay i have to say i believe earlier in the conversation i misgendered the voice actor that uh provides the voice for shinji on netflix and it, i reminded of it because i was going to say it is a non-binary thing or it is a mm. it is a explicitly binary thing mm-hmm. but the voice actor for the netflix dub is a non-binary non-binary trans voice actor so i apologize for having misgendered them earlier in the conversation got it um but the there is that duality of you know humanity is constantly brought up in the series we've got the male and the female we've got the you know choice versus fate sort of things going on so it everything in the series seems to be offering a binary versus um unity sort of choice right and this is the beginning of that the 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 differences between the angels and the humans is the beginning of that binary duality Mm -hmm. to the point of the at fields i feel like because the avas have those that is why the avas were created right was because they went the only way that we can actually have any modem modicum of control over the next impact event is to have access to the at fields and it's just a bitchingly cool sci-fi way to weave philosophy into your giant freaking robot <laughs> anime absolutely like, and that's the best like the the best sci-fi does that so well right whether you're talking about yeah. films or books or whatever it's like it's always taking these you know not always but often taking these very heady philosophical themes especially when you look at a lot of like what philip k dick was doing and some of the older authors looking at the future with regards to um you know sentience and ai and you know androids and you know at what point does humanity end and or you know robotics end and humanity begin and if you're the construct of all of your memories and that's another thing it's that whole discussion is literally taking place through the Ray character uh, towards the end, right? Because when when we're going through her singularity process, or at least how you know her process relates to Shinji's singularity, she's asking all of those questions where all of these people are basically saying, "Hey, you know, you're not an actual person. You know, you're just you know a carbon copy." And she's like, "But you know, I I I have self awareness and I exist and I have memories and I have thoughts and feelings that are the results of those memories that have shaped me over time." How is that different from humanity, you know? And those are all those great philosophic questions that sci-fi questions and much like we see here, 
is content not to answer, you know, it's content to let you, it's say, hey, you know, this is kind of a little bit about maybe what I think about it, you can see a little bit here, you can see a little bit there, but like, you know, this is not anything that has an objective answer, I'm not, a, I'm not interested in somebody solving this, because there is no solving for this, there is only what we as individuals think about these matters, and I'm interested in hearing what you think, right? Well, and they do, I mean, they explicitly say that to you uh, at a couple of points at the end of the series and again in the movie, but it's like they will, they just tell you here is, you know, reality is subjective, effing deal with it. Like, and and that's what makes it (laughs) hard. Like, they just say that to you. And it's, it's like, I would actually argue though, that they use all of our Ava pilots to examine that, not just Ray, because once the angels start making contact with our pilots' minds, right? Like I was saying, so they contact Shinji's mind and they're like, Mm -hmm. hey, who are you? And he's like, I don't even know, man. Like, I'm <laughs> I'm the worst is who I, if you want to know, I just, I suck. And yeah. the angel's like, okay, but like, there are, there seems to be parts of you that are okay, right? And he's like, no, not really. I mean, I guess, but like, <laughs> it's just because other people think so. And the angel is like, okay, but doesn't that equate to value? And again, because Shinji is ultra depressed, it, it's very difficult for him to understand what's happening. And let's mm-hmm. be real. It could be difficult for a viewer to understand what's happening. And this is just my interpretation of this conversation that happens. I'm talking about the perpendicular uh, lines crossing the screen that represent, you know, Shinji's mind versus the angel's mind when they contact him. Mm -hmm. And it's very, like, messy and weird animation. But they do seem to be going, like, you know, hey, humanity, what's your deal? And it's like, Shinji is just going, you know, I don't know. We don't have a deal. We just... We kind of exist and go from place to place. And then when they ask Asuka, they're like, hey, Asuka, what's humanity's deal? She's like, uh, humanity's deal is do not effing touch me. And I am in charge of, of me and I will mess you up. And yeah. they're like, oh, OK, well, that seems uncool. <laughs> and then, you know, to your point, they get to Ray and they go, hey, what's what's up with humanity? And Ray's like, oh, I'm I'm you should probably should not ask me. <laughs> Okay, once again, that wraps it up for us here on Esoterica Cinema with part two of Jesse and I's epic Neon Genesis Evangelion discussion. We'll be back in two weeks to wrap it all up with part three. Have a good time. In the meantime, we'll see you then.